0: Jim Cramer, welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, break news even. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, we keep talking about the winners from the stay-at-home economy every night, right? But after a messy session, Dow ultimately gained 30 points, was down really badly at one point. S&P inched up 0.58%. Nasdaq advanced 1.66%. I think it's time we have to, let's say, separate the wheat from the chaff or maybe address the losers. Unfortunately, there are a lot more losers than winners here, and many of them have become uninvestable. These stocks are the market's Achilles heel, and whenever they bounce, you got to sell them and swap into the winners. The winners like the tech companies I keep talking about and the healthcare companies I keep talking about, the ones that are going to help us overcome the pandemic. Many of these winners are in the NASDAQ 100, which is why that index is now going up. <laughs> after bell. if you look at it, it's well ahead of 2020. It's being led by ultimate stay-at-home winners like Amazon and Netflix, but it's also now starring a whole new group of companies, companies like Gilead, which tonight I gave you a promising look at remdesivir. Okay, that's a drug that has some pretty good trial data out of one Chicago hospital. Not enough, I know, and not against uh, no control, but it could make the coronavirus less deadly. And that is causing every stock to go up this very evening. The idea that you can get out of the hospital quicker has been instrumental in my thinking about why you can't give up on this market. But I don't want to get ahead of myself with something like a promising drug treatment. As much as it sure sounds good, because you and I know that we've been disappointed before. I do like this one, though. I do, though, want to warn you off losers if we can't get this economy moving again. Something, by the way, that President Trump is going to be talking about this very evening, and of course we're going to go to that if he says something that's substantive. Now, in the past four weeks we've had 22 million people file for unemployment benefits, including 5 million more just added to the rolls today. Put it all together, and you just know some companies are getting crushed here and we will get crushed if the Gileads of the world can't solve this. On the white collar side of things, we've now heard from the banks, the big banks have all reported. And some of the things they said were pretty troubling. Not necessarily for their numbers, which I kind of like more on that later in the show, but for the old way of doing business in this country. So I'm going to give you the facts. Listen to these conference call quotes. Wells Fargo. We've enabled approximately 180,000 employees to work remotely. Bank of America, we've established multiple locations for the important work of our trading operations and call center platforms and otherwise enabled social distancing by moving 150,000 people to work at home. City! city has got 160,000 out of 200,000 people working remotely. J.P. Morgan, 70% of its workforce operates now from home. Many divisions, that number's north of 90%. We're talking about 180,000 people. Now, the coup de grace. Goldman Sachs in what I thought was a really good quarter and will go up big tomorrow if we get good news about COVID. Get this, just what Goldman said. Over the past month now, we have been operating with approximately 98% of our global employees working remotely while handling two or three times the normal trading volume and maintaining very high levels of engagement across all of our stakeholders and corporations and institutions and individuals. It goes on, quote, Across the globe, including our teams in Bangalore, Warsaw, Dallas, Salt Lake City, we successfully outfitted employees with the necessary technology to work, communicate, and engage without interruption. Holy cow. The world, the world has changed. Given the high quality of video collaboration software, including Zoom, Ring central. Remember when we introduced that on our show, Cisco's WebEx and now Verizon with the purchase of a smaller offer called Blue Jeans this very morning. I got to wonder, does white collar America even need to go back to work the old way? If you can work from home, what's the rush? Don't get me wrong. I want to reopen the country as soon as the president can do it safely. But even when that happens, many people are very are never going to go back to work the way they used to. No, they're going to stay home. That's great for video collaboration stocks and cybersecurity plays. Think Okta, CrowdStrike, Zscaler, Palo Alto. But it's terrible for a whole host of industries. Let's go to them. First, obviously, the automobile. Well, forget about that, right? You're working from home, you're not commuting. Once you get used to skipping your commute, I think driving becomes a lot less appealing. Why bother? Sure, I know. Look, you're still going to the grocery store, right? Which is why you've got to uh, buy stuff from McCormick and kind of aggro That stock was a big day. General Mills, Kellogg, they're not going to stop prowling. But do you really need to own a car for that? There are a lot of places you can take an Uber or Lyft, although I'm not recommending those stocks. There's only one automaker that I am recommending, and of course, that's Tesla. Everything else? Forget about it. Tesla is the one. Let's tease out the implications. If we're no longer commuting to work, that means we use a lot less gasoline. Even when the president cajoled Russia and Saudi Arabia into cutting production by 9.7 million barrels a day, the price of crude couldn't really rebound. That deal just stopped it from going to 15 or 10 or single digits. And who knows, it dipped below 20 today. That whole group's untouchable. And those big dividends, not safe. Next, all these people you see, you see on airplanes all the time, many of them are business travelers, especially the ones in the lucrative first class section. But now that everyone's comfortable with video sessions, the economy's rolling over, cutting down on air travel seems like an obvious way to save money. So even though United, Southwest America, and Delta woke got bailed out, they're probably losing a big chunk of their best customers. Marriott, oh, what a great company. But you know what? They're not traveling. You're not staying at a popular chain of hotels if you're not going around the country. The world. Anything's lever to travels in trouble, including American Express, by the way. That stock's already been beaten to a pulp, but I'd rather not touch it. Fourth industry that's troubled you have to avoid the Office Real Estate Investment Trust. These companies are incredibly well run, but that might not matter in an environment where there's simply less demand for office space. Two really great companies Boston Properties, SO Green, obvious ones. No go. Whole group. Horrendous. Especially since so many renters are feeling emboldened about not paying their rent. Who the heck wants to step up and build a big office tower, by the way, when offices are becoming superfluous, so therefore no growth and lower rent businesses? That's bad. Fifth, you're at home. You watch Netflix. You're playing video games. Use Roku. But you're also become addicted to Amazon. And because it's just so easy to order online, well, then you know where you got to go. Well, you got to stay away from those stocks. All right. So let's I told you the president's going to be talking tonight. Let's go to the White House. Where we expect the president to give guidelines for opening the country. this fight.
1: We have undertaken the greatest national mobilization since World War II, And that's exactly what it's been. We've marshaled every instrument of American power. And we've unleashed our most potent weapon of all, the courage of the American people. These have been trying times, a cruel virus from a distant land has unfairly claimed thousands of precious American lives to every citizen who has lost a cherished loved one. Your pain is our pain. We mourn as one national family. Our country has come together. We draw solace from the faith that God has received and the departed. He has taken departed into his eternal and loving embrace, they will never be forgotten. Over the last weeks and months, millions of Americans have joined together in a shared national sacrifice to halt the spread of this horrible disease. The Army built field hospitals and sports arenas and convention centers, the Army Corps of Engineers, is great. Over 20,000 beds in record time. The Navy sailed hospital ships to our biggest cities. Life saving supplies and experimental medicines were rushed to the front lines as we launched a rapid search for groundbreaking treatments and vaccines. We built the most advanced and robust testing anywhere in the world. And we've done more testing than any country anywhere in the world. We suspended dangerous foreign travel. We leveraged our industrial base to produce vast quantities of critical medical gear and enacted a historic $2 trillion relief package. Through it all, we have seen the heroism of our doctors and nurses like never before. These are our warriors the bravery of our truck drivers, such bravery, and food suppliers, such incredible bravery, and the determination and drive of our citizens. Through this unified national endeavor, we have made great progress. You could really say incredible progress. Our experts and scientists report that our strategy to slow the spread has saved hundreds of thousands of lives, models predicted between 1.5 million and 2.2 million U.S. deaths. If there was no mitigation, it could have even been higher than that. And between 100,000 and 240,000 deaths with mitigation, it's looking like we will come far under even these lowest numbers. Thanks to our all-out military operation and the extraordinary devotion of our people, we believe we will experience far fewer deaths than even the optimistic projection. But there is no such thing as an optimistic projection on death. One person is too many. Our experts say the curve has flattened and the peak in new cases is behind us nationwide. More than 850 counties, or nearly 30 percent of our country, have reported no new cases in the last seven days. Because of our early and aggressive action, we have avoided the tragedy of health care rationing, and deadly shortfalls that have befallen many other nations, nations which, wherever possible, we are helping. In America, no person who has needed a ventilator has been denied a ventilator. We're making hundreds of thousands of ventilators. We've delivered thousands and thousands of ventilators to the states. And actually, it's been an incredible operation. We started with very little and we ended with a lot. The United States has achieved a significant lower mortality rate than almost all other countries. Based on the latest data, our team of experts now agrees that we can begin the next front in our war, which we are calling opening up America again. And that's what we're doing. We're opening up our country, and we have to do that. America wants to be open, and Americans want to be open. As I have said for some time now, a national shutdown is not a sustainable long-term solution. To preserve the health of our citizens, we must also preserve the health and functioning of our economy. Over the long haul, you can't do one without the other, cannot be done. To keep vital supply chains running, these chains have to be taken care of so delicately. They're delicate, the balance is delicate. We want to deliver food and medical supply. We must have a working economy, and we want to get it back very, very quickly. And that's what's going to happen. I believe it will boom. A prolonged lockdown combined with a forced economic depression would inflict an immense and wide ranging toll on public health. This includes a sharp rise in drug abuse, alcohol abuse, suicide, heart disease, and many other dimensions of physical and mental well-being. Moreover, many patients have put needed medical care on hold, creating entirely new hazards for public health. Our country has suffered. The world has suffered. One hundred and eighty-four other countries have suffered. Therefore, my administration is issuing new federal guidelines that will allow governors to take a phased and deliberate approach to reopening they're individual states. I've dealt with them now a long time, and we've had a great relationship. Democrat, Republican, the relationship has been good. This strategy is based on hard, verifiable data. I want to thank Dr. Burks for her incredible leadership in crafting these guidelines. In consultation with scientists, experts, and medical professionals across government, Dr. Birx will explain the guidelines in more detail in a few moments. And Dr. Fauci has been absolutely terrific. We've all worked together, and we've worked together well. They are interested in the health of our country, and we're all interested in the viability and making us truly great again. We took the greatest economy in the history of the world, and we closed it in order to win this war. And we're in the process of winning it now. Our approach outlines three phases in restoring our economic life. We are not opening all at once, but one careful step at a time. And some states will be able to open up sooner than others. Some states are not in the kind of trouble that others are in. Now that we have passed the peak in new cases, we're starting our life again. We're starting rejuvenation of our economy again in a safe and structured and very responsible fashion. Our strategy will continue to protect senior citizens and other vulnerable populations while allowing military and other groups of incredibly talented people to go about their real business and the business that's supposed to be hard at work at doing and nobody does it better. Our military is the greatest anywhere in the world. And we're so thankful for what they've done. Healthy Americans will now be able to return to work as conditions on the ground allow instead of a blanket shutdown we will pursue a focus on sheltering the highest risk individuals, so important. We're establishing clear scientific metric and benchmarks on testing, new case growth and hospital capacity that must be met before advancing to each phase. And that's each phase specifically in the reopening of our country. This is a gradual process. As the caseload in a state continues to go down, restrictions can continue to be eased and come off. Throughout the process, citizens will continue to be called upon to use all of their weapons in this war, vigorous hygiene, teleworking when possible, staying at home if you feel sick, maintaining social distance, sanitizing commonly used surfaces, and being highly conscious of their surroundings. Those are our weapons, and they're very powerful weapons indeed. Governors will be empowered to tailor an approach that meets the diverse circumstances of their own states. Every state is very different. They're all beautiful. We love them all, but they're very, very different. If they need to remain closed, we will allow them to do that. And if they believe it is time to reopen, we will provide them the freedom and guidance to accomplish that task and very, very quickly, depending on what they want to do. We are also encouraging states to work together to harmonize their regional efforts. We'll have numerous cases where states have worked and will be working very, very closely together. As we reopen, we know that there will be continued hardships and challenges ahead. Our goal will be to quickly identify and address any outbreaks and put them out rapidly. If the virus returns in the fall, as some scientists think it may, possibly, these guidelines will ensure that our country is up and running so that we can likewise put it out quickly. At the heart of our strategy is the vital role of medical research, especially for therapies that will significantly improve outcomes for high-risk patients and reduce the need for urgent care. This will be tremendously valuable in allowing life to eventually return to normal. At least 35 clinical trials are already underway, including antiviral therapies, immune therapies, and blood therapies in the form of convalescent plasma. You've all heard about some of these events and some of these therapies. They've come a long way. What's been done in the last four weeks is incredible. We will also continue to expand our testing capacity we have now completed more than 3.5 million tests, by far the most anywhere in the world. Areas of our country that have been hotspots have done much more testing on a per capita basis than South Korea. We've done more than South Korea, and South Korea has done a good job, but we've done more. We will continue to work with governors to advise them on how to conduct both surveillance and diagnostic testing. We have now distributed over 600,000 Abbott ID Now point of care diagnostic tests. These are tests that are done on site, and within five minutes, you know the answer, positive or negative. In recent days, we have seen a dramatic increase in the number of tests performed by hospitals and academic institutions, with more than 120,000 tests recently reported in a single day, far more than any country in the world has ever been able to do. And our numbers are actually going up. As these new and better testing solutions come online, we're seeing this additional capacity reflected in the numbers. For this reason, the number of tests processed in commercial laboratories has dropped from approximately 100,000 to roughly 75,000 tests over the last week. The reason it dropped is because we have so many other tests and we don't even have to go through the laboratories. But the laboratories have tremendous additional capacity and states feel free to use that capacity. Some in the media falsely reported this as a bad thing when in fact it is a great thing because it indicates that the states are moving to faster, more local testing solutions, including on-the-spot tests. So this drop in the utilization of commercial laboratories is an affirmation that testing, which is at an all-time high, is growing at a historic rate. In other words, the laboratories are great, but now we have forms of testing that are much quicker, much better. And we don't have to use the laboratories, but they're there and they have a great capacity to do the work. As Dr. Burks has been advising our governors for weeks, we continue to have an excess testing capacity of one million tests per week available for use. And our capabilities are growing every single day, especially with the new tests that are coming onto the market rapidly. As we begin a science-based reopening, we must be extra vigilant in blocking the foreign entry of the virus from abroad. Border control, travel restrictions, and other limitations on entry are more important than ever to keep the virus in check and allow Americans to get back to work. The sacrifices our citizens have made in this time of crisis will be remembered, studied, honored, and praised for generations to come. We're really all all working together. Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, we're all working together. This is not about parties. This is about our country. Now the American people are ready to rise to the occasion once again. They are ready to show the world once more that Americans can defeat any challenger. Together we will rebuild this land that we love, we will reclaim the magnificent destiny that we share, and we will carry our nation forward to new heights of greatness and glory. I would now like to ask Vice President Mike Pence and Dr. Burks to further explain the new guidelines. I want to thank uh, Dr. Burks, I want to thank Dr. Fauci, and I want to thank really especially a man who has. Devoted 24 hours a day to his task force and done such an incredible job, our great Vice President, Mike Pence. Please, Mike.
2: Thank you, Mr. President. The uh, members of the White House Coronavirus Task Force today joined the President to meet with bipartisan group of uh, members of the House and of the Senate to get their Council on the development of what the President unveiled to America's governors this afternoon. The new guidelines for opening up America again are a product of the best science uh, and the best common sense that the President has marshaled on this team and from a broad range of advisors from all across the nation. Uh, from the moment President Trump established the White House Coronavirus Task Force, early on, he made it clear that that we have no higher priority than the health and safety of the American people. The President launched a whole-of-government approach. And while we stand here on this day, with more than 640,000 Americans having contracted the coronavirus, and our hearts go out to the families of the more than 31,000 Americans who lost their lives and and those who continue to struggle with serious consequences of the coronavirus.
0: There's the president and vice president talking about opening up America. Uh, They did not go into the Gilead drug, where we had some good news out of one Chicago hospital tonight. uh, And in a magazine called Stat, where my friend Adam Fulstein wrote a very positive piece about the idea that we actually may have something that gets people out of the hospital quicker and lowers the morbidity. This is why the futures are going crazy. This is why the market's going up huge. This is why my friend Scott Wapner will be must watching uh, at 7 o'clock when markets in turmoil, because it's actually, I have to tell you, the first actual good news against the coronavirus since this started you know I have felt that it's had us on the run the whole way, that we've not been able to come up with a realistic program to open up the whole country, just the areas, as the president said, which are less hard hit or don't have as much virus. But if the Gilead drug is, is uh, working, a lot of people thought it wasn't, by the way, because China stopped its trials. If the remdesivir is working in the way that this study, and this was just part of a full study be out tomorrow, If it's working like this, then Gilead's right to be up 12. It's right that the bank stocks are roaring. They've been hit because people feel that they're going to get hurt so badly by a slowdown. And it's right that the housing stocks, it's right that the industrials are roaring. And it would mean that given all the money that's been pumped into the economy, it would mean that the shorts would really be on the run and the longs finally have something to crow about. Mad Money will be back. Don't
1: miss a second of Mad Money.
0: A robust stock market without a robust banking sector, judging by the hideous action in the bank stocks yesterday and today, although of course they're screeching higher tonight because of this Gilead potential breakthrough i'm sure Scott Wabner will be talking about that at seven o 'clock we, we got a question we got to ask at one after another of these fantastic bank companies have seen their stocks cascade lower, an extraordinary move considering that the banks have loodles of cash and I think are reporting pretty good quarters. This is the one industry that's in much, 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 much better shape than when we were headed into the Great Recession. They are selling off because of the pandemic, not because of greed or foolishness. Back then, the financials were ground zero for the collapse. Now they're simply the conduits for the federal government's decision to try to put money in your pocket for the stimulus. Plus, given their gigantic deposit bases, you might think they have everything they need to get through the lockdown relatively unscathed. But the other day when uh, J.P. Morgan reported, Jamie Dimon, CEO, made an offhanded comment. I'm just going to quote it. A rational plan to get back to work is a good thing to do. But it won't be May. We're talking about June, July, August, something like that. End quote. Oh, my God. Since that comment, the bank stocks have been on a relentless decline. And I don't know if what the president said earlier in the show is going to change that. Here's the thing. Whether or not you think it's a good idea to reopen next month, we need lots of testing, lots of mass, a workable system for contact tracing that's up and running before we can safely end the lockdown. Oh, and of course, we need the Gilead drug remdesivir to work and to work in a controlled study where it's up against a placebo without a break like that, well, Jamie Dimon doesn't see us getting there until early to late summer. Obviously, I hope he's wrong. And the bank stocks are soaring in expectation that he is wrong, that Gilead got a drug that can cut short a hospital stay. But if there's a prolonged lockdown, then I think the banks are in trouble. Their bountiful reserves really aren't that bountiful in a multi-month quarantine where millions of Americans simply don't have the money to pay their debts. One of the big changes since the Great Recession is that we're much more sympathetic to borrowers in this country and much less sympathetic to the banks who are still have a hangover of what they did in 2007 to nine. If the economy is going to stay on ice for three months more, I can't imagine people will keep paying their rent or their mortgages or their credit card bills in unison as they always have because they're worried about their credit. I can't imagine retailers paying their interest. It's kind of like a three-month-long bank holiday, except the holiday's at the expense of the banks and the shareholders. I know they've already volunteered to get rid of the big buy- of their buybacks, and-, and those are all gone. But if Diamond's right, they may need to say goodbye to their dividends too. It wouldn't shock me if the government says the banks need enough capital to cope with a three-month hiatus on debt repayments. I think it's unfair, but they can do it. So many companies in travel, leisure, entertainment, dining, and retail are closed. There's no way that everybody can pay. So, same goes for the 5 million people who lost their jobs last week with the 22 million altogether. Now, some banks are better prepared than others. Morgan Stanley has a pretty transparent book of business. And once it's merged with E-Trade, you have what I call a very asset-like financial with a huge embedded fee base. Talked to James Gorman this morning the CEO. I liked everything. I heard it doesn't matter the stock market, though, as it trades like all the other major financials with much riskier books of business. When I look at Wells Fargo in particular, I just don't like what I see. A lot of loans I suspect will go unpaid for the next three months. But the oil and gas loans, wait a second. And why should that stock yield 7.59 percent? That's a tell. Goldman put up a, a darn good quarter. And despite the downturn, Bank of America, Citi and J.P. Morgan, they reported good numbers. Now, there's a silver lining. If people can go back to work soon, they'll be expected to pay their bills. However, with most of the retailers being crushed aside from Walmart, Costco, Amazon, Lowe's, and Home Depot, and the airlines have been obliterated, it it may just be the bank's time to serve as the proxy for the economy's weakness. It's too bad. Outfits like Goldman and Morgan Stanley are really crushing it. Nobody cares. They're banks. So without the miracle treatment, sell them. We want companies with dividends that can be raised, not payouts that might be cut. And most of all, we want companies that can, you know, actually get paid for their services rather than being stiffed by debtors who can probably get away with it because this time it's not their fault. That's the banks. No wonder they've been hit so hard. They got to hope that remdesivir works. If not, people just go right back to selling them after they rally in the morning. Let's go to Archie in California. Archie. Hey, Jim. It's Archie from Palm Springs, California. All right. What's going on, man? Hey, I wanted to ask you about Sirius XM, a symbol of S-I-R-I. Yes. I recently bought it, uh, recently, since it seemed to bottom out the last few weeks, and earnings are set to report next couple weeks on the 28th, and analysts are looking for a 5 cent per share. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting 5 cents per share versus 3 cents per share from the same quarter last year. I mean, do you have? Uh, what do you think of the company going I'm forward? I'm worried. I'm worried. I'll tell you why. Because in the end, it's a play on cars. It's a play on cars being bought, play on used cars, and a play on driving. And if you don't do all those as much then you will not re-up your sub. That's a worry for me. Let's go to Mike in Texas. Mike. Big
2: booyah, Jim, from Dallas, Texas.
0: Yeah, oh, Good to have you, Mike.
2: Okay, long-term holder of Big Pharma, but I recently added some Biogen for biotech exposure. Earnings are
3: flat. There are questions over the pipeline. company has low debt, high return on equity, trading at 10 times earnings. has been a six-year trading range. Am I mad or do
0: I make money? No, you're fine. I mean, look, you got to have the uh, Alzheimer's drug pay off. Uh, the, the segment is red hot. Regeneron's up. Amgen's screaming. Obviously, Gilead, if they get this uh, remdesivir through, that's going to be big. And this group trades like an ETF. So you're going to go up just because it is in the biotech ETF. A lot to digest here tonight, isn't it? Wow. President saying we're going to open soon. Gilead may be letting him do it. Stick with me. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, time for the lightning round! Let's with Alan in Massachusetts. Alan!
2: Booyah, Mr. Kramer, Alan, Lynn, Massachusetts.
0: Yo, what's going thank on? You
2: taking, uh, thank
3: you for taking my call. and as With everyone, I want to thank you for being here with us, and being who you are, you're a delight. Oh, thank Especially you. Especially thanks for cutting through the chains, bringing light where there's darkness, stability where there's chaos.
0: <laughs> I sure try. A lot of people hate me, but that's okay. I don't mind. I'm Jimmy Chill. What's going on?
3: Uh, in particular, I need your advice on DY, DICOM Industries, invested in it as an
2: infrastructure. Yeah,
0: I like it. I like the, the what we used to call the engineering construction businesses, but the group has been brought down by a couple of poor performers. Stickly floor, I say stick with DICOM. I like it. It's well. It does what it's do its job very well. Let's go to Kevin in Arizona. Kevin, hey Booyah, Jimmy, chill. How you doing? Uh, chill man's good. Couldn't be happier. What's going so, on?
3: Well, 2018, I picked up
0: some uh, Nucor. Tried ah. to downgraded it. Goldman access, upgraded it. And reports in two weeks, and I'm down 36 percent. What, what's my call? Well, like look, call I mean, office? it's the best house in an incredibly bad neighborhood. Steel can't. Steel is something you're supposed to sell when we're going to recession. A lot of people feel we are going to recession. I would not sell it here. It's got a good dividend. It's, it's solid. It's well run. You're going to have to hold on to it for the duration. Let's go to Bill in Pennsylvania. Bill.
1: Jimmy Chill. Yeah.
0: Three off from Pittsburgh Steeler country. Oh. Uh, my stock is down $30, 30 bucks, uh, from its recent high. And they have a ton of exposure to China. Uh, and, they're most, and most analysts have them at a hold. What do you think of Emerson Electric? right, Uh, I'm holding this up. This used to be a sport that was played. 11 guys on 11, they touch each other a lot. Okay, so we went NFL back. We went NFL back. Emerson, here's the deal. Emerson is going to have a not as great quarter as I'd like because they have a lot of oil and gas and they also have a lot of China. I don't want you to sell Emerson. It is a great American company. Hold on to it. Let's go to Angela in Connecticut. Angelo. Jim, big booyah from Stanford. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, one more booty out for my father. He's watching, too. I like him. Uh, I like him for you. Father, son, Uh, we think that's great. What's going on? Diamondback Energy. All right. Diamondback Energy, along with EOG, Parsley Energy that we had on the other day, Pioneer, Chevron, they are all well run enough to be able to survive this basically nuclear war against oil and gas. But uh, that said, I hate those stocks. There you go. How about Gilbert in Florida, please? Gilbert! Gil, speak to me. Gil may not be there. Do we abort, abort, abort? Let's go to Samantha in Florida. Samantha!
2: Hi, Kramer.
0: Yo, Samantha, what's up?
2: This is a two-part question in regards to airline stocks. All right. So the first part being, what do you think about airline stocks with the possibility to pivot to cargo use if needed? Right. And the second part being specifically the Delta. Is this a hold or is this an opportunity it's to buy? It's going to be a
0: trade if we do get further good news uh, in terms of the uh, Remdesivir. People are going to buy the airline stocks, and then I want you to flip them, okay? Because we don't know how good they really are going to be. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by T.G. Ameritrade.
0: You might think that a pandemic would be bad news for the health insurance industry, but you know what? It's the property and casualty industry that's being hurt. The health industry is doing okay. The reason is simple business interruption insurance, which is exactly what it sounds like, something that interrupts your business. Your losses are covered. According to uh, conventional wisdom, the insurance companies who wrote these policies could be on the hook for vast sums of money. But in truth, it's not that simple. See, many of these business interruption policies have explicit exclusions for pandemics. It's like how every hurricane season we're reminded that most homeowners insurance doesn't cover flood damage. I'm sure most business owners won't be too happy when they notice the fine print. and It's possible many of these disputes end up in court. However, I expect the insurers to prevail, which brings me to Chubb Limited. That's the world's largest property and casualty insurer with a stock that's come down 33 percent from its February highs. It's now it's below book. If they can enforce the pandemic exclusions in their contracts, I have to believe this stock is just way too cheap. Do not take it from me, though. Let's hear directly from Evan Greenberg, the chairman and CEO of Chubb Limited. You get a better sense of what's going on here. Mr. Greenberg, welcome back to Man Money.
3: Jim, it's good to be with you this afternoon. I hope you're well and keeping safe. I'm
0: trying to, and I hope same for you.
3: I am. Great. I am, and I'm um, and, uh, making sure I'm spending my time making sure we're operating normally in these abnormal times.
0: Well, Evan, I've got to tell you, I read a piece of research from Piper Sandler today. It says we are assuming the insurance industry resolves the business interruption claimant issue without bankrupting the industry. Now, Evan, you know, I've been a longtime uh, client of Chubb for everything I have. I do not want you bankrupted. You are important for the country of the world. Can they really bankrupt you?
3: No, I don't think so, Jim. And, you know, first of all, let me let me add perspective and and just correct a little bit of of of, of I think how you might see things. Okay, Th- this event, like this health and 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 economic crisis, is going to hit the insurance industry like every other industry hard. We're going to pay tens and tens of billions of dollars in losses from both the pandemic health and the economic crisis. Think credit-related, trade, credit, insurity, workers' comp, or liability, or the fact that a lot of businesses are shut down and property losses tend to increase them. And I could go on and on. So, it's not simply a question of this legal cloud over business interruption. Um, And the industry will pay, in different industries, business interruption claims particularly for the entertainment industry and single events and, and 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 things like that. The question the question about business interruption that is outstanding right now. Standard industry policy forms cover direct physical loss to a property to trigger business interruption. Think of fire or right. a flood or a tornado that impacts your business, shuts it down. Business interruption responds. And by the way, the notion of, is it value for money? About 70 cents of every business interruption premium dollar collected, as we estimate it, is paid out in claims. So, it's pretty good value for money. Pandemics, um, unlike other catastrophes, they're not covered. And for the vast majority of insurers, and Why? it's um it's not because we just want to avoid risk there's a really clear reason most catastrophes like a hurricane or earthquake are limited by geography or time right, right? think of a hurricane it hits a certain geography it lasts for a certain period of time pandemic is very different it can you can imagine it hits all insureds or a large majority for a loss all at once. Right. It has no geographic bounds. It has no time limit. And so insurance companies have finite balance sheets, and the loss potential from a pandemic is infinite. So the only one who could really take the infinite nature, financial nature of that, is the government. The insurance industry has $800 billion of capital, and that's to support all the normal Risks we insure, plus the catastrophe events that may incur. We may I, incur any one year. I, I, I hear
0: you, but look. I mean, I live in New Jersey. I mean, uh, it's me yeah. that New Jersey doesn't want to make you pay. I mean, I, I, New York wants to make you pay. These states, these legislatures, there's lawmakers who want to make you pay. That's, you would it. be bankrupt if they if they make you pay.
3: We would. There's a you know there's there's a little something called the Constitution, and and sanctity of contract is fundamental to the US constitution you can't just retroactively change contract that is plainly unconstitutional and the industry would prevail on that and so i understand the frustration of, legislatures, I, of legislators a legislators I understand they're looking for a remedy, but this would be a self-inflicted injury at a time, and create great uncertainty at a time when we have enough uncertainty and we're trying to heal the economy. Uh, is there any silver so, lining? So
0: I want to give you two silver yeah. lines that you can answer to. One is uh, nobody's driving, so there's no, very few accidents. And second, the courts are closed, so maybe the plaintiffs are willing to settle.
3: <laughs> I think that's um I think those are short windows.
0: I guess and so. <laughs> um
3: I agree with you. A, the, the 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 trial bar is a is a thriving um industry that knows how to make money. I'm sure they're getting a good rest while the courts are closed.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean I guess I am glad to hear that the constitution will prevail because I know that it is possible that the look the insurance industry for those of us who have had to use it in good and bad times is too precious to be wiped out before something that you're right has no there it's infinite. We don't know when it's going to, who you would never take on that risk. Maybe somebody did though, Evan. Maybe someone actually wrote pandemic insurance. They've got to be in Jim,
3: there there is there is. There is pandemic insurance out there. Um, different insureds bought Special forms that covered pandemic and those claims will be paid. Woo! Um, there is no doubt about it, including Job, um, where we, where we specifically provided that coverage, we'll all willingly pay.
0: Okay. All right. Well, look, I know you'll pay because that's what Chubb does. Uh, But I'm glad to hear I needed to hear that constitutional stuff because the research is just way too negative. I want to thank Evan Greenberg. You're exactly right. All right. Evan Greenberg, chairman CEO of Chubb and the dean of this industry. And yes, once again, I am a client of Chubb for everything I do. I think it's important to point that out. Stick with Kramer. What does this COVID-19 pandemic mean for the life sciences industry? You might think this would be a great time for anyone, even remotely connected to diagnostics. But in reality, let's call it nuanced. Take Agilent Technologies, letter A the maker of instruments, software, services and consumables for laboratories and research centers all over the world. These guys have really stepped up. When the Iowa Department of Human Services ran out of masks, one of their nearby facilities started 3D printing face masks. When it became clear we'd be short on hand sanitizers, Agilent started making its own. But a couple of days ago, Agilent had to withdraw its guidance for both the current quarter and the full year. Why? The company pointed to a quote, a significant disruption in business activity in late March, particularly in the U.S. and Europe, as customers closed or restricted access to their facilities in an effort to slow the spread of the virus, end quote. Even this industry is being hit by the lockdowns, but there's a lot more to this story. So let's check in with Mike McMullen, He's the president and CEO of Agile Technologies to get a better read on how his companies cope with the crisis and what they're doing about
4: it. This is Rick Mullen. Welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me on today. Well, first of all. I really appreciate that great overview of what the Agilent team is doing.
0: Oh uh, Well, look, I, I'm honored to have Agile on. I remember the day that you were spun off. At that point, the largest Silicon Valley spinoff from Hewlett-Packard. You've always had the best science, which brings me to not the, the uh, changing guidance, but the fact that you are rising to the occasion. A lot of people are saying, why isn't testing happening faster? Why isn't it happening faster? You have stepped
4: up to make it go faster with Bravo, correct? Absolutely. So, thanks for the recognition of the team. So, our team is answering the call here. We're open for business, answering the call, and the teams are really stepping up because they know they're working for a higher purpose. You mentioned our Bravo equipment. We've got to find ways to accelerate the flow of testing and also the number of testing kits that are out there available in the market. So, as you know, Jim, we're playing a role in both places. You mentioned Bravo. That's an automation piece of equipment we have that makes the testing go faster. But you may not know it. You actually provide key ingredients to the testing kits themselves. Well, I mean, when you do something or you have a, a great piece on your website called the
0: need for speed, uh, you, you do more testing. You do faster testing. But then, you know, sometimes uh, novices like me say, OK, well, look, they're talking about doing expediting sequences of uh, microarrays. Uh, a- now, I'm sure if I'm a doctor, I'm saying that's why things are going faster. But I need to understand what what that means.
4: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, uh, Jim. You really have a good command of the science, I must say. And uh, really all is about speed to answer. And uh, we talked about the automation uh, aspect of that, but you also mentioned the microarrays and those products are actually made here in our center cl- our fabrication area. And this allows us to look at multi-samples in one pass. So this also has a speed advantage as well. Now,
0: do you guys just say, and this is what I'm I actually, this is, I'm doing a hopeful show tonight. But Agilent is the kind of company that I say, it says, all right, what do we have? What do we have in the arsenal that can make, that can help beat COVID-19? People don't think we have these companies in this country anymore. But Agilent is one of those companies. A-
4: absolutely right. Uh, and this is so energizing for our team. I'm so happy to be able to share that with the audience today. you think about the three areas that we're in this battle with, where science can really play a key role here to help out beating this uh, COVID-19. It's an area of virus research, virus testing, we're just talking about, but also vaccine development. And we have some of the world's leading companies, including management technologies, playing a key role in the development of these vaccines. So we are working with a number of our pharma partners with our team in Colorado, right here in the United States.
0: All right, so my you know that there is a group of people actually led by a Sadly, because I went to Harvard, but the, Har- uh, the Harvard public policy... I don't hold you that. I'm i a Wharton guy, so... Uh, but Wharton's more can do. The guys up at Harvard <laughs> keep telling me to say the public health people say, forget it. Everybody's going to get this thing. We know many people are going to get it in the end. We're not going to be able to get that vaccine in time. Stop thinking it's going to be t- uh, a year to two. It's going to be three to five, of anything. You're in the thick of it. You know that we have great technology in this country. Are- where are you in the idea that maybe it's not just being being optimistic and, uh, and over-enthusiastic to believe that we might get something here.
4: Yeah, Jim, I don't want to over uh, underestimate, if you will, you know, the work that's involved to create a vaccine, but I'm actually very optimistic. And I have several of my Agilent board members are right in the thick of this as well with their, their companies. And we are looking at, across the industry, multiple ways to attack this problem. And I don't think it's a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And it's going to happen, and it can't happen quickly enough, but we're delighted to be able to play a role in that. And I think uh, there's reason to be optimistic in the long run here. Now, in the meantime, you do have a sizable business in China, which hurt your previous
0: uh, earlier in the year, but came back. And why is China able to come back? Is it because it's a, a society that's tightly regulated by the government? What are they doing that they managed to be able to not flatten the curve, but pretty much eliminate the disease?
4: Yeah, thanks uh, for that question, uh, Jim. And uh, as you may know, the China business is pretty important. Agilent, over 20% of our revenues are in China, and it's been a great growth engine for the company over over the last several years. I can't speak to the Chinese society in general, but what I can speak to is what I've seen from the Agilent team. In fact, last week, Jim, through this wonderful digital technology we have, I spoke to all 1,200 of our China team last week, And what I talked to them about was they set the example for the rest of Aslan by taking care of themselves during the worst of the pandemic and then finding ways to work with our customers through digital platforms. And their business, now that they're returning back to work, is on coming back online. So they really have set the example for the rest of Aslan to follow. We're really proud of that team.
0: At the same time, you did do, you came up with 3D masks, you came up with hand sanitizer. Was that just because you guys have always been inventive?
4: Oh, we love it. I mean, our teams just love a challenge. And uh, we said, listen, we have to do all we can to help our, our those frontline healthcare providers. And we don't want to be taking uh, very important hand sanitizer away from them. Hey, we're a company of chemists. We can figure this out. And our team did in Folsom, California. Well, it's terrific. A company of
0: chemists and inventors. We do invent things here. We do create things here, and we do step up when we have to. Mike McMullen, Agilent CEO. Letter A. Thank you so much, sir. Great that you have thank you on the him. show. Very much, Jim. Very much appreciate it. Excellent. Okay, Mad Money's back. Get to the break. One part of one study revealed tonight that this Remdesivir, which is the Gilead drug. Had some pretty good success, and that's why the market is going up so much after the close. We need to see more information. There was no placebo, but it was heartening, and there's no way around it. Better than it was yesterday. Like I said, there's always bull market summer. I'm sorry to find just right regular man money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Markets and turmoil. Hosted by my friend
2: Scott Wapner. Begins now. It's going to be great.